Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Going into part eight now of our Knowing God series, we're kind of uh, going to bring it to a close, although I don't really know how to <laughs> bring a series like this uh, to a close. Uh, to be honest, I was thinking about that uh, yesterday morning. Yeah, probably it was yesterday morning, not today. I wasn't writing it still this morning. But uh, yesterday morning, how do you bring something like this to a, to a close? Because it's really an endless topic. And the reason why it's an endless topic is because you could put, you know, almost all message series under the, under the uh, title, Knowing God, because that's what life is all about, right? And that's what we've been talking about, John 17, verse 3, and we'll read this uh, together, and hopefully you can do it by memory already. But if not, let's do it together. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, John 17, 3. So this is eternal life. This is what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever. Hope that excites you. And it should be our highest pursuit right here on this earth now. We don't have to wait until forever and ever and ever. Now we can start already, but Scripture goes on. If you look at 1 John, it actually defines for us what this knowing God is. And and uh, this is going to lead into what we're going to talk about today. But 1 John 2, 3 to 4, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Because that's the question, right? So I want to know God. I want to know him more. Uh, what does that even mean? How will I know? Right? Because I will almost guarantee you, especially if you have any type of sin struggle or bondage or addiction that you're going through, uh, that you'll feel like, I don't know God. I, you have too much shame. You pull away. Well, this is how you can know. This is how you can know if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Those are strong words, aren't they? Very strong words. And they're sobering words, and they should be. The word of God is the word of God. It is a double-edged sword that splits bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And it should feel sometimes like it pierces in and exposes us for who we really are. And that's good. We want that to happen regularly. That's why we need to spend so much time with the Lord. But this passage brings a lot of clarity to understanding what this whole series has been about, right? So knowing God equals obeying his commandments or reflecting the invisible attributes of God on the earth, which is what we talked about last week, which is giving him glory, right? Because that's what obeying his commandments are about. Remember, his commandments aren't just the random list of do's and don'ts. As though God, when he was thinking about, how are we going to do this whole creation thing? And, you know, thought to himself, well, we better come up with a, a clever list of boundaries to make things difficult for mankind. I think that's somehow, sometimes how we approach the commandments, right? So God was just sitting there, well, this is going to be too much fun, so we'll cross that off the list. They can't do that. Uh, because we wouldn't want them having fun. And that's absolutely not at all what it's like. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. No one knows to have or knows how to have fun better than our Lord. Those commandments were all a reflection of his character, his attributes. So when we are obeying his commandments, which is what it means to know God, to know God equals obeying his commandments. When we're obeying those commandments, we are displaying his invisible attributes and character on the earth, which is glorifying God. And that brings together kind of, I, I guess I didn't need the last seven uh, weekends to kind of do that. I could have just done that in one five minutes, you know, spin. But anyways, uh, I did. I already preached that. I'm not going back. So now this morning we're going to expand on, we started last week and expanding on how do we glorify God and what does that look like? And as I was doing this, I realized there is 
Way more than I can pack into one message. I almost needed a new series on how we glorify God uh, because it really is supposed to be able to encompass everything, right? Do all things for the glory of God. And that's, that's the calling that we all have. But you have to ask, like, God, who is, according to Psalms, the king of glory, how do you glorify him? Like, practically, what does that mean, uh, right? And I think our, our default setting is, we right away go to, I mean, obviously when you're, when you're worshiping in church, that gives God glory. You know what's interesting about that? Because there we find in Malachi and Isaiah, he actually didn't want them to worship. Isn't that a weird thought? He didn't want them. In Malachi, he says, I wish someone would come and bar the, the gates shut, the doors to the temple shut. Why? Because they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law, which would have given them glory. Like taking care of the orphans and the widows and the sojourner and treating their hired hands uh, with respect. Isn't that something? So worship is a good thing. We should worship. I love singing. Worship's a huge part of my daily life. You can ask my family. They're probably nodding because that's, that's basically how my shower time's going. The whole house gets to hear my, uh, my worship. And now you got to hear what I do. All right. Moving on, though. So I'm not saying that's not important. That is a huge part of us connecting with God. But it's not the only way we glorify God. There is so much more in things that are even more important to him. Because he wants the least of these to know him as well. So, John 15, or 15, 519, uh, this is Jesus speaking. And this is, remember, our glorifying is all about imitation, right? So we're trying to imitate as above, so below. We're trying to imitate Jesus. And Jesus modeled a life of imitation, and we see it here. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does that the Son does likewise. And I think that's the perfect model that we're given is Jesus again of imitation, a life of glorifying the Father. And that's what he did. So last week we covered one. We're going to cover 11. And yes, I did delete a bunch for the sake of time. And I will have to run through a bunch of these fast also for the sake of time. Uh, But I have 11 different ways that we can glorify God, which is imitate Jesus on the earth. So remember that. This is all about imitation. Right? We're now going into Palm and then Easter. We're celebrating Jesus for who he is. What a perfect time to look at ways that we can imitate him on the world and so give him the glory he deserves. Uh, this one I'll go through fast because we started it last week, but it's the foundation upon which all the others are built, so I'm going to cover it again uh, ad nauseum. And I'm actually not even going to apologize for it because it's that critical. So abiding in Christ, that is absolutely fundamentally one of the most important things that you're ever going to learn to do in this lifetime. It is. And so we should pay it the kind of attention and respect and time uh, that it deserves. Because apart from me, and that's what scripture says, apart from him you can do nothing. And now obviously you might say, well unbelievers have built kingdoms and riches and wealth and they've gotten power. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that matter for eternity like spiritual fruit. Apart from his spirit, it doesn't matter what good thing you do, you cannot bear fruit for the kingdom. And bearing fruit is absolutely important. We're going to get to that in just a moment. So the two primary ways that we do this, obviously the first one, pray in Jesus' name. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So that's very, very important. Remember, prayer is a two-way street. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that's, again, according to his will. Sometimes we get stuck on that. Well, then we want to pray according to his will. That's what we've been talking about the last bunch of weeks. 
Two-way communication, growing that relationship where we pray to God and we listen to God, both in the Word and in prayer and with our lives, and we live to serve Him as functional Lord. We've been talking lots about this. That's what we're talking about here. You're going to need to have a prayer life for that. And I know I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this other than to say, if you're stuck, if you feel like I stink at prayer, and I've been there, by the way. I stink at prayer. I'm not good at it. And maybe you feel that way because you've prayed with someone who's really good at prayer, right? Then it makes you feel inadequate, so then you just don't do it. You know what? Prayer can be as simple as, Jesus, I need you to help me. Jesus, I don't know what to do. Jesus, I want to glorify you. I don't know how. Jesus, I want to break free, but I need you to lead me. See how short and easy that was? You can start there too, right? What do you need? What do you want him to do in your life? And you start there, and Jesus, I want to know you. He'll answer that prayer for sure. I have lots of stories, but we don't have time. And I'll come up and preach some other time, and I'll share this with you. All right, uh, next one. Spend time in and obey God's word. That's important. Uh, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. I think, um, <laughs> I think more people should stop on that first line of the first verse. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's not just disobedience. James says we are actually deceiving ourselves. That's an interesting, interesting phrase to use there, interesting instruction. We deceive ourselves when we are hearers only. Church isn't about coming just to hear God's word. Opening your Bible isn't just about to read God's word. Right? We are then to respond to the word that we are given. We are to be faithful with the things that he gives us, right? The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? What a promise that is. And what a promise that is. And you know what I love about that? You don't even have to be that great at it. I'm going to get to that at the end of the message. You don't even have to be that good at the, at the doing. You just have to try. And you know what I love about that? Any one of you, including me, can try. We might not be able to do it right or well (laughs) by any human standard, but we can all try. Same with prayer. Do you know what we can all do? We can all pray. If you have breath, you can pray. The first two things on how we can glorify God, praying in his name, you can do even if most of your health was taken away, even if you were bedridden. You could still do those things, at least parts of it, right? So look at that. We can all give God glory. I love that. All right. Uh, whoever says I know him, no, I'll just skip that. Um, first, Second Peter, and you saw this verse up before uh, with Leon's testimony. By the way, was that testimony not incredible? Right? Sometimes we have to remember this is what we're. This is what church is about. This is what following Jesus is all about. He brings dead people back to life. That's the God we serve, right? So anyhow, I got I to gotta keep going here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So everything that we need, his divine power is going to actually provide for us. Not to make things easy because we were promised they would not be. But to make you effective fruit bearers, absolutely everything that you need will be provided for you by his divine power. So moving on now to the new ones. 
um, what are other ways that we can glorify God in our lives? This is now moving past the foundation. So the first thing of prayer and the word being the fuel and being the source of strength and the foundation we build on, and it's the plumb line, and so on and so forth, uh, where we get our direction. Uh, but now moving on, what are other ways that we can glorify God? And the first one is produce spiritual fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And this is right after that other verse which we were talking about, that if we pray, he will answer our prayers. Why? So that he can be glorified. Remember what we said last week? Everything he does, he does for his own glory. Everything he does, he does for his glory. And he wants us to be fruit bearers. He wants us to be able to partner with him in doing things for his glory. And it's an incredible blessing to do so because when we're partnered with him, we bear fruit, um, and which we all want. So what are the types of fruit that we are to bear? Uh, sometimes we just think about the, uh, the Galatians 5 fruit, but there's more than that. Uh, witnessing to unbelievers and discipling others. This is one of the fruits that we were commanded to bear, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we share the good news with others, we are bearing fruit. We are glorifying the Lord. When we disciple others, right? When we are discipling others to, you know, to Jesus, leading them to Jesus, to obey and observe all that he has commanded, to love him, right? We are bearing fruit. This is fruit. And you know what, again, I love about this is we all have someone that we can reach out to. We all do. Uh, if you're a parent, you have kids, I hope you're discipling them and glorifying God there. You've been given that mission. It's a long one, isn't it? <laughs> You've been given a long mission there. It's a, it's a lifelong commitment. Uh, but if you have a friend, if you have a coworker, if you have a neighbor, right? The neighbor's not just the one living beside you. According to Scripture, it's anybody. <laughs> it's anybody. If you are a human being and, and come into contact with anyone, you have the opportunity to witness and to disciple others. And that can start with giving a cup of cold water or being an encourager or sharing your testimony or the story goes on. You should go into the scriptures and into prayer and you will learn all sorts of creative ways. But why don't we stop right here just for a moment because it would be a shame to go buy something so basic in our lives without getting a name of someone we can reach out to today. Wouldn't that be a shame? So Lord, I just, right now, we want to already respond in producing spiritual fruit. We recognize this is how you receive glory, and our lives are all about glorifying you. So if witnessing to others or discipling others, if this is a way that you receive glory, then Lord, this is what we want to do. So could you bring to our minds the name of one or two people that we can reach out to today for you so that we can glorify you? Whenever names come to mind, just jot those down and then commit your way to the Lord. Be an encourager. You know, I've, uh, one thing that I do is, you know, you end up knowing a lot of people over a period of time in your life. And uh, sometimes, you know, you don't have enough time to spend with absolutely everyone. But me and my wife were just talking about this. All of a sudden, a name will pop into your mind. And I typically just take that as a, a cue from the Lord to reach out to them with some kind of encouragement or to see how they're doing. It doesn't have to take long. It's amazing what you can do, especially now in the cell phone age, um, when you don't have to even have a conversation with people anymore, but you should. But uh, <laughs> Mike, no, I won't say anything about my kids, because <clears throat> they're listening. Hi, kids. Love you. Anyways, moving on. Uh, witnessing and discipling others. So that's one. How about the next one here? Uh, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. 
This is, this is totally, it's biblical. This is when we walk in step with the Spirit, these are the fruits that we're supposed to bear. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That one we should probably pause on a little more often, right? Not to control others in our families, at our workplaces, in our friendship circles, but self-control. Seek to tame yourself. Uh, that's the most important thing. But against such things, there is no law. Now, a very important distinction here is who bears the fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit bears this in you, um, but we all know that you can look at your life and say, well, what if I'm stuck in anxiety? Or what if I'm stuck in a sin? Or what if I'm stuck, I don't feel joy, or I don't feel peace? Now, we have talked about the, the verb or the action side of this where we have to do things, but I wanted to just very, very quickly um, talk about our part and the Lord's part. Uh, Very, very fast for the sake of time. But it is God's part to bear the fruit in our lives. But it's our part, like Pastor Lauren said, right in the first message of this series, to cultivate a heart that allows him to grow that fruit in our lives. So we have a part, and I think often we're not always doing our part. And our part is very small in comparison to God's part. But it is still a part. And some of the big killers that I see, the two biggest ones, (laughs) so I don't have it on the the screen here, but the two biggest killers I see to this, uh, the first one is inadequate time spent in the Word and prayer. Now you might say, but I'm doing that already. Great. I'm just saying these are the two biggest and yours might be number three that I don't mention. All right? So this is not about me judging you. I would never even seek to do that. But inadequate time spent in the Word and prayer, biggest killer for spiritual fruit. That is probably the most important way that we cultivate a heart that allows the Spirit's work into our lives. But the second one is, is unresolved, uh, unresolved hurts and offense. You want a fast-track way to make sure that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control don't grow in your life? Hold on to hurts and offense. Nothing kills. It's like Roundup on the fruit of the Spirit is bitterness to the soul. So if that's you and you're struggling and you don't know how to get over that, call us at the church. Let us help you. Let us help you. Let us pray for you. Tell someone in your cell. Bring someone else into your sphere and then start working on it. That's what it means to cultivate the right heart. Go and take those steps. All right, moving on. The next one here, perform good works. This is also spiritual fruit, performing good works. And I know sometimes we right away think, are we talking about salvation? No, I'm talking about producing spiritual fruit. And I'll end this, uh, this, this message today talking a bit about works and faith. But performing good works is absolutely important to a Christian's life. Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Right? So it's talking about we are this light. And you might just think, yes, this light, it's a beautiful light. You know, the Holy Spirit's in me, and it just kind of emanates like with Moses, and my face shines. No, that's sweat. That's not actually what they're talking about there with your face shining. Right, Ray Yoder? There, I see you over there. (laughs) I love you. All right, but it says here, it actually defines what the light is. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works. 
Good works. So good works is actually the light source he's talking about. And maybe it might include other things, but good works is specifically what Jesus is talking about in this passage. And he says, if people see your good works, it is like a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see, and it causes people to give glory back to God. So if glorifying God is something that matters to us, then good works matter to us. And the Bible is chock full of ideas. If you're wondering, well, what can I do? What kind of good works? Oh, get into your Bibles. I would encourage you to do it today. If you haven't done so already, get into there today and just start reading. And it's amazing how many good works you'll see described in there. And if you start in the New Testament, you go, there is lists we find in Romans and Colossians and Corinthians. There are in Ephesians. There are lists, literal lists of this is what it means to bear good works or to bear good fruit. So get in there and then start hitting them off one at a time. It's actually a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And you'll find there is joy. There's a reason why Scripture keeps saying, you know, Jesus in John 15 and, and uh, John in, in 1 John, he says, so I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete, so that my joy may be complete. They have discovered something. When you live your life to glorify God, there is great joy in that, even when you suffer. All right. Got to watch that time. Now, here we got to move a little faster here. Romans uh, 2, 6 to 7, he will render to each one according to his works. Uh, Speaking of reward, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. I love that. That's what we're working for. So, next one here, uh, work hard and enjoy rest. Uh, Remember, all of the things that we are supposed to do, which, you know, which working hard and enjoying rest is a part of, Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. By the way, what, what could this look like if you have a job? Work hard. Shine your light whenever you go in. Be the hardest worker there. Show up early right? Give everything you have, lay it all on the table, and show people what God has done in your life through your hard work. Absolutely, yes. That is a reflection of God. He also works hard. Look at all the things that he does, sustaining all of creation with the word of his power. I'm not sure even how to quantify that, but hard work is important to him. It's one of the first things that he did in the garden is assign them work, right? Work is very important to God, and so is rest, Look at this in Genesis 2, 2 to 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. And now if you look at the Sabbath command, the Sabbath command was all about what? For them stopping. Now for them, they didn't have fridges like we had. For them to actually physically stop working uh, meant a, a great deal more than it does for us in the West. Because there it was really teaching them to trust to trust sovereign God. So they would stop, they would sail out, they would pause, and they would focus on God. And they would trust him, and they would even give the land rest. And it's actually a reflection of who God is, and we see it there. Now, obviously, human beings take this to an unhealthy place. Some do. Some don't rest at all. That's more in the camp that I struggle with. Uh, And then others um, rest all the time, (laughs) in which case you might call that laziness right? So we want to reflect God's glory in there. So I can't tell you if you're imbalanced in this, but bring your rest. This is what I'm encouraging. Whatever it looks like, bring your rest to God. Bring your work to God and say, I want to glorify you here. How can I do that? Right? It starts like that. In fact, in one of the practicums we did uh, four weeks ago, he challenged me to bring my rest to him again. 
<laughs> and I did. And he gave me some steps. And you know what? It transformed my Mondays. We've had four amazing Mondays. I don't have time to go into it right now, but four amazing, amazing, amazing Mondays. And I just cannot believe how he was answering other prayers that I had too by me taking that one obedience step. So amazing. God is good. All right, next one here. That's not what I meant. Here we go. Seek the good of others and serve others. Um, sorry, missing a word there. It's all good. Um, whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Right? And if you look at, now obviously this is talking. I love that because it's the, the mundane, right? Whatever you eat or drink, we talked about that last week. But the context here, if you go back to verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his brother. For the good of another person. And so we are to seek the good of others. And we're not even to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Scripture says we are to even sometimes give up things we are allowed to do for the sake of our brother. Right? Talking about things like even eating certain things or doing certain things, enjoying liberties for the sake of others. We're supposed to do that. That glorifies God. When we sacrifice time, when we serve others, when we love them, there are loads of things you can do. Winter, you can shovel, shovel driveways. You can bake. I don't bake, but some, some of you do. And when you do bake, that's wonderful. And you give people baking. You can help. There are things you can do. You can rake leaves. You can mow lawns. There's lots of practical things like that you can do. But you can also, you know, give rides. You can serve at church, outside. You can ask something like this. How can I help? Right? Make that one of the things you ask regularly. How can I help? Right? Whether you're at work or school or home, how can I help? And then people will already tell you how you can serve them. It's amazing what you can do if you set your heart on glorifying God with every breath and action. And remember, you might say, this sounds tiring. You know what scripture teaches us on that? His commandments are not burdensome. Our problem is, remember the whole walking, I won't do the splits again, but you remember the whole walking in two directions analogy? That's our problem. Commit to walking in one way. One way, not two. And you'll find you get to experience a lot more life in what you're doing. All right, next one, give generously. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He modeled this for us. Like, you might look at that and say, I well, I, I'll just tell you for myself personally. I remember the first time looking at that, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I'm like, man, I am not a cheerful giver. I hold on to my stuff. I was a new believer and I was giving and I actually didn't like the whole idea of giving. Um, well, I mean, I liked the idea of giving. I didn't like the idea of not getting what I want. <laughs> That's the part I didn't like. If I had surplus, I loved the idea of out of a surplus giving, but he kept asking me to give not just out of the surplus, but about, you know, from, from the funds of what Stefan wants. And that was a difficult thing to go through. And I even wrestled with, well, if you only love a cheerful giver, then I might as well not give. <laughs> Right? And I have a whole story that I'm not going to share now on that. And I learned a lesson the hard way. But he loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because a cheerful giver reflects who he is. He's a cheerful giver. And he gives. That's why he challenges you in Scripture. He says, if you sinful people, think about this. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, is what he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Like, what, you talk about a cheerful giver, you can hear the earnestness in verses like that. He's like, ask, I want to answer prayers. I want to do that for you. That's who he is. So he loves a cheerful giver. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9.13 here, it actually says that they will glorify God for the obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. That whole passage there is talking about generosity and giving to the saints and giving to others. And it was a huge part of what made the early church successful is their generosity. 
their sacrifice and their generosity. So generosity is huge. Give generously. And by the way, if you're thinking, well, I just gotta, I just gotta give to the church. No, don't just give here. Please do. I want to get paid, but don't just give here. Give out there. Go into the world. Be a light out there. Use your money there. I love that. Be a light. Let people see who you serve and what he did in your life. And I think that's wonderful. Be generous with your finances. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your gifts and your talents and abilities. All right, next one. And by doing that already, we're kind of going into number six. You will become a good example. I'm going through these first ones a little quicker here because I do want to spend a little bit more time on the next ones. And I don't want to keep you here till noon. Um, Be a good example to the world. This is something we can all do. Be a good example. You know what that means? That means, okay, so complaining is a sin. All right, we complain. But don't you just need someone to vent to sometimes? I get that. I get it. Especially when you're on a journey, you need someone to vent to. Don't vent to people out in the world. Don't vent on Facebook. Please. I'm not telling you what to do. You can do what you want. But please, guard your testimony. Because people look to you and to me to know what Jesus is like. So don't show them someone that they wouldn't want to know. Take this one seriously. Put a star beside it in your journal. Be a good example. When I'm on Facebook, be a good example. When I'm out in Superstore, be a good example. When someone robs my parking spot, put your fingers away and be a good example. Be a good example, right? There's lots of ways that we can do that. So anyhow, this is important to me. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who's in heaven. Be faithful when persecuted. I think our day is coming. There I said it. I don't know when. I'm not, I'm not about those timelines and all that kind of stuff. But you look at, you know, Bill C6 and Bill C7. And I think about that hospice that was shut down in Vancouver. And that church that is, you know, has 801 human rights complaints against them for standing up saying sin is sin. Uh, I think of, you know, a father um, who's facing jail time because of using the correct pronouns. I think of a student who is kicked out of class for professing their faith. And these are all things that are happening in our world in Canada right now this year. So our days are numbered. And do I have fear on that? No, I don't. Because when the darkness comes, it's when the light shines the brightest. And so I don't look forward (laughs) to it. But at the same time, I do. Because I know he that is in me, he that is in you, he that is here with us today is far greater than he that is in the world. And we can have confidence. So if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. (laughs) In bearing the holy name of Jesus. It's going to happen, right? Whether it's on social media or maybe it's at work, maybe it's already happening to you. And you get slandered and my encouragement to you is do not shrink back. Do not be of those who shrink back, but of those who persevere and so save their souls. That's what Hebrews exhorts us to do. Stand firm. And you might say, but I'm afraid. And what if it costs me? It costs him a lot more. And he says, a disciple is not above the master nor a a student above the teacher. If they hated me, Jesus said, they will hate you. All right, I got to move on to the next point. Be faithful when persecuted. Be faithful. He is faithful. All right, here's a, here's a big one here. Glorify him with your mouth. And this, this point uh, obviously convicted me. I imagine it'll probably convict all of us. Um, because the tongue, remember God created us in his image, human beings. We have language. 
like God. Remember, he was speaking from, the, from before time, like before the beginning of creation. He was speaking it into creation. Speech is a part of who he is. And thus, speech is one of the primary ways that we can give God glory. Our lips glorify him or should. And yet James tells us in James 1, 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. There's that word again. Deceives his heart when you're not being a doer, but just a hearer. Here it says, if we're not bridling our tongue, we deceive our hearts and our religion is worthless. And that's, those again are sobering words, but let that sink in this morning, church. How are we using our tongues? How do we use our speech? How do I use it? Not just you. How do we use it? And are we using it to bring him glory? James 3 says, we all stumble in many, many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Is that not an incredible statement? To think like that would be, if, like, according to James, this is one of the highest pursuits then, to try to really tame that tongue. If you can tame that tongue, it's just going to have, you know, fruit-bearing effects within the rest of your life. And you're able to bridle also your whole body. With it, we both bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people made in his likeness. And then he says, this ought not to be so. This ought not to be so. And by the way, you'll notice I skipped through some of the pieces on there, but I always give the full, um, the full reference so you can see where I'm getting it from. But then for the sake of time, I sometimes shorten it a bit. But I encourage you, if you're putting those things down, bring it into your devotional time, bring it into your prayer time, read it for yourself. Get in there, read it, listen to it, ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Let him divide and examine your own life and see where he brings it. And I I always love doing that. So I encourage you to do the same. So James says if we cannot fully control our tongues, or if if we could, we would be perfect. And he also says, though, with the tongue, and this is a tragic thing, we both bless the Lord and we do it. You know, sometimes it's, uh, the Lord has convicted me on this many times. On Sundays, you worship me in front of everyone. You worship me and And then what happens when you go to work? Now, this is not when I was working here, but this was a really big theme when I worked at Steinbeck Dodge. What are you doing there? What kind of conversations and jokes and what kind of words come out of your mouth? And are you leading people to me or are you leading people to the flesh and to the world? And again, I think there's, you might say, well, I have this one under control. Then you're already a perfect man or woman. That's incredible. But I would, I would say you should probably take this into your prayer time and ask the Lord, Lord, is there an area that I need to work on? Because I bet you we all have something that we can work on here. It's not just one or two, because I don't see too many perfect people walking around yet. All right, so this means death and life and the power of the tongue. But this means, this is what it means here. Um, we sing praise and give thanks. We, are, we become encouragers instead of discouragers, Right? We pray, we tell the truth, we avoid vulgar language, we refuse to use the Lord's name in vain, we speak blessings rather than curses, use your voice to love others. These are some of the practical things that you can do. Each one of us can do this. And when we do it for him, right, we glorify him. This might even mean by yourself. You think glorifying God, what does it mean by myself? You know, you get really upset, and you know when by yourself you, you unleash a little bit? You ever do that? Don't, don't nod your head. But uh, I've done that. But you have a word that comes to mind and you want to speak it out and instead you don't. Instead of being by yourself and belting out a curse to someone when no one else can see, you turn around and say, oh Lord, I just pray you bless them. (laughs) And it can start there. And you know what that is? Glorifying God. You are bearing the fruit of the Spirit called self-control and in doing so even by yourself, all of the heavens watch 
And they say, look at him or her, glorifying you even when it's hard. Okay, let's keep going. Glorify God in your marriage and remain sexually pure. And I put both in there because both are important when you're married. And when you're single, for sure, the sexually pure is important. Absolutely, yes. So these are huge ways, themes in Scripture, marriage and sexuality, on how we can glorify God. And again, like, like I said, there is remaining pure. You can be glorifying God. You might say, what if I have an addiction? What if I have a struggle? We heard about what God can do there in restoration. But let's say you're there. Resisting temptation, getting help. I'll get onto that in the end. There are steps you can be doing, and as you are doing that, it's called repentance. That actually brings God glory. All right, Ephesians 5, 21 to 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's 21. Um, and then it, you have a page break in your in your Bibles if you go and look at it. But then read all of 22 after, and you're going to read husbands, love your wives, and wives, submit to your husbands. And it's going to give this, did I say that right? It doesn't matter. It'll give a whole description of what that looks like. But it starts with mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. Right? So this is what marriage is supposed to be, and this is how we glorify God when we submit to each other. You might sometimes just want to, oh, I don't want to submit. But you do anyhow, because God has been so incredibly benevolent and kind to you. And so you say, Lord, you submitted to a cross for me. I suppose I can submit to not eating in the laundry room anymore. And you're saying, that's a weird thing to say. My wife's probably smiling at home right now. <laughs> we keep food in there and I keep making a mess. <clears throat> We're on the same page. I just got convicted. All right, so <laughs> I hope you got convicted on something else. You probably thought that was bizarre, but you get the point. We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, and we glorify God that way. This is regular day, everyday stuff, and you have a good marriage. You know what a good marriage does? It testifies to who God is in your life, uh, but there's, there's other reasons too, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But flee sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body is what 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 18 to 20 says. Um, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Very interesting words here. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Then he goes on to say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. Think about those words. You are not your own. You don't get to decide what you can or cannot handle. It's not your decision. It's his decision. He bought you with a price. So glorify him with your bodies. Absolutely. Yes, I'm running out of time. Oh, man. So anyhow, marriage and sexuality. Two big ways. Big ways. And obviously we'll expand on these in series to come. There's lots of good things to be said on there. But the next one here is very, very important. Repent from sin and turn to God. And this one's super important. Remember, sin is concealing God's glory on the earth. That is what sin is, transgression, right? We are concealing God's glory on the earth. So when we realize we're doing that, we confess our sins and we turn from those sins and we turn towards God. Repentance towards God is what Scripture teaches us. We actually give Him glory. Now what I love is the idea behind that because God can even then get glory in you picking yourself back up from the worst sin and turning towards Him. But I am not saying that you should sin in order to give God glory. And that's exactly what Paul felt the need to caveat as well when he talked about this. Uh, Because it can lead you into a place, well, if I sin and then confess and turn back to God, then he receives glory. And that's far better than the work it takes to break free. 
No, <laughs> don't do that. That's not a good idea. But if you're stuck in sin and you get up even a thousand times, if it's 10,000 times you have to get back up and repent and turn towards God, he receives glory every time because you're displaying his invisible attributes on the earth. And you say, well, how? I did the opposite. You're right, you did the opposite. But now as you turn back to him and you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There, the wages of sin is death. By your ability to pick yourself back up, turn to him and confess, when he forgives you, you are displaying, when you receive that forgiveness, you are displaying the benevolence, the kindness, the mercy of God, the grace. You are testifying to the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did on, on Calvary. That is why it gives him glory. But Paul says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. I speak in a human way, by no means. He's talking about the whole idea of God receives glory in this. So what does this mean to bear the fruit of repentance? Uh, there's a couple of things here, uh, but I want to be really, really clear uh, on, on this, right? Forgiving others as Christ forgave you. You might say it's difficult, they don't deserve it. It's not about you and it's not about them. It's about him. He forgave you, and so when you forgive others, you testify of his forgiveness on the earth. You glorify him. And so my question is, would you be willing to do that for him? If that allowed other people to see the light of Christ in you to forgive, would you let that go? Would you let that hurt go today? Would you even do it right now? Would you commit? Would you commit to him right now that you're not going to be bitter, that you're not going to be offended? that you are going to forgive because he has forgiven you from so much and you want to show the world what his forgiveness is like. But it also means other things. Run from evil. Would you be willing to get rid of temptation? I remember breaking free of an addiction and thinking, well, I mean, certain things you'll get rid of and then you're kind of in this process and you're, well, now I'm kind of stuck here. And then you're like, well... At some point you feel like I'm just running from one thing to the next. I'm running from one thing to the next and I'm going to keep sinning anyways. So what's the point? You ever felt like that? What's the point? I can't get rid of everything. I just have to live. And Hebrews tells us, have you resisted temptation yet to the point of shedding your blood? Because he did for you. So when you resist temptation, when you run from evil, when you resist it and it's hard, you reflect in a small way the glory of God and how he resisted temptation even when it cost him everything. Remember, the enemy tried to tempt him. He tried to give him the keys to the kingdom without having to go to the cross. But he didn't do it. So, confess your sins to another person and get accountability. Stop making excuses for your addictions or for your struggle. If so-and-so would stop this, if so-and-so, if it's always about so-and-so, take ownership for your life. Take ownership for your life. Bear the fruit of repentance and so give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And lastly, you see a pastor, a doctor, a counselor, get the help you need to experience victory. You might say, well, I've been in this forever. It's always been this way. Then do something about it. Then do something about it. And you say, well, it's hard. I get hard. I've been there. But Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But you've got to say yes to him and yes in his way and his timing. All right. I'm going to skip that last point, and we're going to jump right to the end. But I'll just quickly say it here. Believe Jesus at his word, and this one I would encourage you to bring into your devotional time. Uh, what are the things that he tells you or that you read in his Bible that you don't accept? 
You ever confess your sins and feel like you're not forgiven? Reject that feeling of condemnation that gives God glory. It totally does. Absolutely. Uh, do you ever feel like you're not, like God will never accept you, so you, you shy away instead of coming forward? Scripture says you can come with confidence to the throne, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. So reject those feelings and come to him. So now I want to talk about this last point here, and I just want to go over this. Isn't, is, you know, is, is this works? Is this what we're talking about? Right? And I know that's often the thing that we struggle with, because I've been talking lots about shining your good works to others, and what it means to be a Christ follower. We're not just saved uh, by, you know, he's not just our Savior, but he's functional Lord. So how does this work? And scripture sometimes doesn't, you know, if you read one passage, you might get confused. And Romans 4, 3 to 4, I'll try to give some, some clarity here. I know many people much smarter and more studied than me have, have tackled this topic. So I'm going to try to keep it simple, uh, how it was simple for me. So Romans 4, 3 to 4, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So when you're, when you're reading that, right, so he's not saved by works, because if he had done anything, then this passage is saying then he was just receiving the, the due wage that was owed to him because he was a worker, just like if you are an employee. But then James goes on to say something using Abraham again. Don't you love it? Now we have two Abraham examples seemingly saying maybe different things. And James says two, in 2, 21 to 22, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And so we look at this and we say, well, what is it? Because right? You look at Romans 7 and the law that is in you, and sometimes we feel that conviction, or you keep falling in the same sin, and, and we feel like there's no way that I can live up to that standard. And the temptation then is to withdraw and to pull back and to not understand what's going on. And I want to make this very abundantly clear. We are saved by faith. You are saved because you believe in Jesus. You receive it as a free gift. But faith, apart from works, as according to James, is useless. And so I was praying about, Lord, you got to make this simple for me. Because I'm just simple. I'm, I am one of the, the more simple ones. Those who know me well know that. I'm very odd, really, up here. It's something's... But uh, I was praying and I was saying, Lord, you got to give me a picture. Like, how does this work? Because how do we balance this faith and works thing so it doesn't... As soon as you start trying to save yourself by works, you've missed the point. But as soon as you just say, I believe and it doesn't matter what I do, you've missed the point. So how do we get this balance right? And so I was praying, and the Lord reminded me of, you know, football. I get lots of football analogies. Uh, maybe it's a reflection of me. But uh, he said, suppose you had, you know, in the NFL, and this is what I want to bear with me here, those that understand it, and for those that don't, I'll make it very simple. You know, in the NFL, it's the elite of the elite of the elite. You know, anyone who, who can play at the top level plays there, right? And if you can't play there, you go to the CFL. Stop. Keep going. Anyways, but the best of the best of the best. So you have hundreds of thousands of people playing this sport. And only the best of the best of the best get to play. And only the best of the best of the best of the best of the best win the championship. So a coach, when he's building a team, he's looking for what? The best of the best of the best. Right? He wants to build his team with the best of the best of the best. And those are the people that come and play. And if you play and you win, you get a big paycheck. Right? Scripture says you are just receiving your due reward. You worked for that. 
So now suppose in all of us here, because there's no NFL players here that I know of, and if there is, you should talk to me later. Um, but all of us here, so imagine, you know, Bill Belichick or this very famous coach came to you today and said, I want you to play on my team. Now you're thinking, but I don't know how to play football. And you might even say that to him and he says, I know, but I want you to play on my team. Will you come and play for me? So you say, well, I mean, okay, I'll come and play for you. You actually want me to play or just sit on the bench? He says, no, I want you to play for me. Come onto my team and play for me. And I'm going to give you a really big fat paycheck. And you're thinking, this is too good to be true. So you come and, and play. You figure you're going to try out for this team. You're going you're gonna to play a game. So the first game in, he puts you in his quarterback. You're like, quarterback? I don't even know how to throw a football. I can't even hit something with a baseball, let alone this oblong-shaped football. And so you throw your first pass, and it goes right into the defense's arms, and they run it back for a touchdown, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, I'm going to get benched. So you start walking off to the side, onto the sidelines, and you're going to sit down, and your coach says, you're supposed to play quarterback. And you say, Lord, but I failed. Or, coach, I failed. I can't do this. He says, I know. Get back on the field and play. So you keep playing, you keep playing, you keep screwing up, but somehow in the end you win the game and you don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? Now you get your big paycheck, you, you started, you started for the team. Now, you did play, didn't you? You had to play. That was the one requirement. He said you had to play. But did you get what you deserved? Are you just a worker getting your wages when you make millions for screwing up? The answer is no. Right? You working and you getting paid is actually a reflection of your coach. Everyone looks at that coach and says, that coach is different than any other coach out there. I have never seen a coach that lets people play that don't know how to play. And yet he keeps doing it and somehow he keeps winning. And who do they give glory to, the players or to the coach? To the coach. So I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you and we'll sing the final song. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking that you don't know how to play this game. You've been stuck for so long and it just feels like anxiety or depression or addiction or a relationship that never seems to work or maybe I'm stuck and I feel isolated and alone and I don't feel like anybody knows me. I feel, maybe you feel you don't have anything to offer the King of glory. What can mere men or women offer to the King of glory. And yet today was not a message to give 11 ways to heap more guilt on your shoulders. Today was an invitation from an almighty God, the King of glory. It is an invitation to you. It is an invitation to me. And so Lord, we tell you today, we want to come play on your team. And we want you to receive the glory. And when we fail, we're going to get back up because we know that when we get back up and continue to play, even when we stink, you get the glory. So we're going to keep getting up and we're going to keep chasing after you. Holy Spirit, we're asking though, would you fill us today? Would you fill me? Would you give us the grace to, to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, the strength to persevere? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 
326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.